Welcome to Sticky Interviews. I'm Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of Sticky Learning. We are the provider of leadership development and soft skills training to the grocery and manufacturing industry. The idea of these interviews is to share great ideas, great concepts and great ways these skills are being used to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Sticky Interviews. My name is Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of Sticky Learning. The idea of these interviews is to be sharing great minds, great ideas and great people with you to help you be the best version of you. Today I've got the pleasure of having second, third conversation with Francis Wade, a time management expert, guru, aficionado, helping to uncover some of those myths and fallacies that we come up with against our own time management. Short bio from him, he's a columnist, he's the founder and creator of the Carib HR Forum, which is a volunteer-based professional network. He's a consultant. He solves tough productivity problems for corporations. He's an author, he's a speaker, and he is helping the those people that think their time starts, he's helping the busiest 1% get even more efficient in their day through his skills. Francis, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for doing this interview. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Nathan. It's great to be with you and your audience. Yeah, nice. Look, I'm looking forward to this because we had a really lush conversation previously and that it just went backwards and forwards and we had all these different ideas and concepts and it was a really fluid flowing dialogue and I'm looking forward to getting some of these ideas shared with more people in this moment. So look, I'm going to dive straight into this because people, I'm not sure how much of the audience we have know you, so I want them to find out more about you and then we'll dive into what you're good at, your areas of expertise and your zone of genius. First and foremost, why do you do what you do? Um, well, that's a big question. Uh, I, I, I guess I've always been interested in, in being productive as an individual. And uh, long story short, I lived in the, the United States up until 2005 when I returned to living here in Jamaica. So I'm based here in Kingston, in the hills over Kingston uh, of Jamaica, uh, here in Jamaica. And it was really the transition that I made back from the U.S. to living in Jamaica that got me to this heightened level of interest. It had been a, a passing sort of, um, let's say pastime, I guess. I had led courses, I had done training, and I, I imagined that moving back, you know, changing countries from a developing, developed country to a developing country wouldn't, wouldn't be all that hard, and I was wrong. I discovered that my productivity plummeted and I didn't know why. So I went looking for answers. You know, I went, I went at the time, 2005, I was Googling for things like, how do you manage your time in a time of conflict, in a war zone, under stress? I, I tried to find, okay, what do you, when you change your environment dramatically and all of a sudden you find yourself at wit's end because you're not getting things done that you believe that you should where can you get help? Couldn't find any help. So I started actually writing, uh, blogging based on the insights I was having because I was struggling. And that's what kicked off. That's 15 years ago. That kicked off 15 years of very intense research, two books, 
I have a number of training programs. I have online training. I have uh, assessments. I held the first time blocking summit earlier. Um, actually, that was last year. Yeah. Well, time is, time is, no, it's this year. Sorry, time is warping. I, I swear to you, the whole COVID business just has me like, okay, that was this year. That was March. Jeez. Agreed. And it, it kind of, in this circumstance we find ourselves in, everything is being magnified and funneled and you kind of, you're just losing track of stuff. It's been eight weeks now for us as a family in this situation. It's just, it's just gone in the blink of an eye, you know? It's, it's amazing. I, I, it, 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 it I, 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 this weekend, today is Monday, and this weekend I had the feeling like, I don't know, what day is it? I was like, wait, what happened to, where did the week go? It's this weird experience. And, you know, that's, it comes from the changing of our behaviors and our routines. They're all, they've all gone up in the air. What we used to do and the way in which we did it has now been changed without our agreement. So there's a little bit of what happened when I moved back to Jamaica. All of a sudden, I had to adapt these new behaviors, and I had to do it in order to be effective. And I struggled to adapt them. So I figured, you know, anyone who's going through a change like the one I went through, not necessarily from one country to the other, but someone has to move houses, for example, or change jobs, or has a dramatic increase in demands on their time, there's that period of struggle and sorting out as they... Um, have to put an extra effort in to change behaviors to deal with all the demands on their time. And, and, and it usually happens when there's an increase. So you take on a new project or you have twins or you go from single to married or you buy a house. So when these transitions take place, all of a sudden the number of demands on your time increases and you've got to find a way to cope. And that's kind of what that, that question has fueled my curiosity in my work for the last decade and a half a phrase that i learned a few years ago is the thing that you lack is the thing that you need to give so it's kind of a life mantra is that thing that actually you feel like you're 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 lucking out on or actually it's causing you the biggest amount of friction that's probably a clear indicator that's the thing you're meant to or need to be giving in order to bridge it for yourself as well as the like the local community and the people that need to hear that message as well Oh yeah, that's, that's definitely that's definitely a way of summarizing my story. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's part of me that comes back to kind of that stereotypical island lifestyle. So we talked a little bit before we went live. You know, is about and this what does time mean to people? Mm -hmm. And did you find that as a transition from coming from you know a normal you know everyday kind of um, metropolitan American lifestyle coming back to an island mentality. Is that where the friction happened or what? No, I, I, I really wasn't, I really wasn't um, living in a metro area. I was living in Florida. Okay. So I wasn't going from New York city to, although I, I imagine that that would have been even more severe. Uh, yes. I think it happens when people move from New York to Florida or New York city to yes. Florida. I believe they go through something, something somewhat similar, but what it was, was partly because life in a developing country is so hectic and so unpredictable. So it's the, it's the move from regularity and high, um, high structure and high predictability to its opposite. So 
So you take, take that all away and all of a sudden things break, things don't work. People don't do what you think they're going to do, even though they said they would. So it, it, you're in an environment where you, your mind now has to think ahead three or four times further than it used to because you're now compensating for things that you didn't predict or didn't expect. So that causes you to causes you some cognitive load that didn't exist before because the way I put it, you know, going to working in the States was like every day was the same. It was in some ways boring. You know, it, where I live, life is never boring. This is this is one series of, you know, if you're from the outside, it's exciting as all heck because every day is something is disrupting what you think is going to happen that day that you didn't think would happen. Something unpredictable is going to happen. So the unpredictability throws up more commitments for you because you have to know, say, okay, that person isn't going to show up. I need to plan to do A, B, C, D, and E. So you are compensating for it, but what it works out to in the end is a heavier load. All of a sudden you have more commitments than you ever had before. And some start falling through the cracks, uh, feelings of overwhelm, other things that tell you that something is not quite right. Uh, I call them unwanted symptoms, but they are signs that the methods that you're using are insufficient for the current situation. And I think there's, there's something to be said that there's a balance of, of, of both of those things. You know, that need for certainty and a certain amount of security. But if you have too much, life becomes very boring. And if you get any curveballs and you have no flexibility, you know, you start getting serious amounts of anxiety and depression start kicking in because you, you can't deal with that flex. But if you go too far the other way for the uncertainty, you go into freak out because you're con- you know, going to meltdown because you're constantly in freak out all the time and you can't deal with the number of surprises that come down. So it's having that kind of reasonable balance uh, between the two and knowing that they're going to flex and then having enough of the structure, the, integ- the integrity in processes to then mitigate any challenges or hiccups or other things and then taking advantage and being able to flex and move through them again. So for example, if you hadn't shown for the interview today, okay, so what could I have done with that hour instead? How can I use that hour that's still going to keep me moving forward with my objective? Right. And having that shift of perspective. Right, right, right. The, 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 the cause, the cause may be very varied with respect to what causes the increase in time demands. And few people know that when they take on a new project or change a country or have a child or do any of these, these things, these perturbations, few people know that my core behaviors need to shift or that my habits and rituals around the way I manage the demands of my time need to shift in concert with what's happening in my larger life. So few people have the wherewithal. We're, we're mostly just invis- invisibly just reacting to stuff that happens to us. So we, 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 we don't know why and we don't know how come and we think it's because of this but it's, and we think it's because of that. But we don't, we don't get the connection between the two. So people suffer. I hate to say it, and it's just terrible, but we suffer. Things happen and things permanent, like, like for example, COVID, you know, so, so people have had this, this, this common experience, common slash awful experience of going from 
a very consistent day at work where you know you got on the train and, and, and it, you know, pretty much most days were the same. You went into work and everyone expects and certain things of you and they give you certain things and they remind you of certain things and yes, it's time for the three o'clock meeting and da, da, da. And they have a certain pace to them. So you don't have to be the one thinking about what am I doing at three o'clock because it's already programmed into your day because you're at work. And what am I doing at five? I'm leaving. That's what I do every day. It, it, it has a certain number of, of environmental dictates have provided the structure for you. So now someone changes all of a sudden and they go to work from home without warning. So they, you know, their boss sends an email, you're gonna be working home from home tomorrow, starting tomorrow. So you roll over, you get up out of bed and okay, you don't have to get ready. You don't have to, you don't have to break out your clothes anymore. You, the kid comes in and says, daddy, you're gonna be home all day, yay! And you go, yeah, but you think you have a meeting, but you're not sure. Three o'clock, is that still on? And then your wife says, I want you to cook breakfast because I'm going out to the store. You got the... And all of a sudden, you know, life has put itself on you. And you're left having to come up with a brand new set of behaviors in order to be as effective as you were before. Yep. So the, the structure has all changed up here. But few people realize, hang on, on the way home, say on the way home on the train after you got the news that you're not going to work the next day. Without warning, you're, as you reflect, you're thinking, hang on, Johnny's going to be home, wife is going to be home, dog and the cat are all there. So is Facebook, YouTube, a good book. Huh. How am I going to change my behavior to be effective? Few people have that thought. <laughs> it's not until weeks, eight weeks later that they're like, I'm dying. <laughs> when this work starts again, oh my God, I can't take it. They're going, and they don't know why. They don't, they don't get the underlying behaviors. Yeah, and this is the thing, you know, is we see it in, with the COVID, everything's under the magnifying glass. Everything's under that deep, thick lens. And, you know, we experience it in the first few weeks, people getting tired, people didn't want to start projects, people didn't want to do things. I mean, this was just the symptoms of cabin fever. But it's that part of your brain is making the shift to, okay, I might be doing the same work, but I'm in a completely different environment. And it's that, um, that primitive um, paleolithic, uh, paleo, you know, um, mammalian, yeah, yeah, paleolithic brain, that brain. Yeah, <laughs> trying to process, is it safe for you to do your day-to-day -day work in this new environment? So it's got this constant push-pull and you start getting tired and you start stopping, you're not making the solutions, you're just kind of processing and, and surviving. And then as a result of that, like you say, you don't compute what it is you need to put in place until you're in it. And, but by the time you're in it, you're then trying to drag yourself out of it. And that's the challenge. Right. This would have been much easier if everyone had two months advance notice and there could have been a training that said, okay, here's how you manage yourself. People, what some people call it time management. Here's how you manage yourself once you're home working every day. If there were this nice period of transition and reflection and preparation and training, it wouldn't be as harsh, but it all came about suddenly. And the expectation is that, oh, work, you know, work in the office, work at home the next day, you should be just as productive as you were the day before. 
that's the invisible um, understanding. And you know, you know, you, you have a computer, right? That's all you need. Well, <laughs> we now know that that's not true. <laughs> but the the there's no there was no it was none of that preparation given, and as a result, a lot of people are struggling. I was going to say something controversial. I might have to edit it out later, but the fact is, we did actually have two months warning on this. Oh yeah, we. Ra- oh, ooh, that's political. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to leave that one there for you. Want to get into the politics? <laughs> <laughs> but but this is the thing is you know what we've seen in in kind of under this this lens is where the gaps were. Can we work from home? What does productivity look like? What does this distraction in the office look like? And then you talk about kind of being able to manage, manage in floating speech marks your time, because we know that time is kind of this really large entity. And it's in kind of the grand schemes, you probably can't manage it. You can structure it. I think you can, you can strategize with it as an instrument, as a tool, but you, you can't manage it. It's going to do what it's going to do. Right. What I would do. you say, what would you then say are some good time management skills in accordance with the kind of the 13 principles that you've laid out? Sure. Um, well, the, the, we all share, we human beings share a common uh, hmm, heritage, that's not the right word, a common uh, development when it comes to how we manage what we call time. So it, it, we all have a, the, the, this developmental curve that's the same. We're taught the meaning of time at our own ages, eight or nine or thereabouts. So someone teaches us, here's what time is. And we go, oh, okay. And we immediately start using it, as you said. It's not discovered. It's a, it's a construct that is taught, just like you said. And very soon after, we create what are called time demands. So time demand is a promise that you make to yourself to do something later in the future. We have a fancy, fancy definition of it. And it, it, it has psychological um, definitions, but basic idea is that you make a promise to yourself and children start to do that around ages 10 11 12 once they start engaging in complex goals so goals that are more more difficult than just remembering one piece of homework for example or their parents says you need to start remembering to do this so as children we learn okay we've got to create a time demand we don't call it that of course but to do my homework so that I can watch a TV show, so that I can um, have the chocolate cake, so that I can go to bed. So we start putting these things in our heads, uh, sequences of tasks, and we start to manage the sequence ourselves. So these internal promises we discover very early on are very slippery, that they, if we don't pay attention to them, they disappear on us and they, and that's, that's the nature of them. But later, on, not later on. But actually, most people don't know this. But psychologists call them psychological objects to distinguish them from physical objects and digital objects. A psychological object is is one that basically you made up in your mind, but you treat it as if it were somewhat physical in the sense that you can't touch it, but you want it to stay there so that you can execute the the action later. So what you start to do as a 12, 13 year old is you start to you develop this intention and I'm going to, I'm going to create these time demands and I'm going to follow them. 
because you realize that this is important to everything that you want to do in life that's more than basic. And you start to teach yourself behaviors. So most people aren't taught the behaviors to deal with time demands. They teach them themselves. So they go through a period of trial and error. And as you can imagine, some do it better than others. And as a consequence, some pass their GCE. You guys still have GCE uh, O and A levels? Oh, something like that. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been in the education system. The name has changed. <laughs> Back in my day, they were <laughs> Cambridge is what we took. Cambridge, Cambridge O and A levels, or what I did in my day. Um, and as a consequence, some folks do well in their exams, and some don't. And they may be equally as bright, or equally as talented or gifted. But somehow one was able to teach him or herself the 13 behaviors I'm about to describe with respect to keeping time demands alive over time. So in other words, they're able to fulfill their intentions, even if the intentions are six months later or a year later, because they've developed more skill. But it's all by luck, because there's no class, there's no explanation, there even though this behavior permeates everything that's worthwhile in our lives as human beings, the irony is we're completely left to our own devices in developing how we do them. So some people teach themselves really well, some don't, and some end up in uni or universities, some don't, some end up, so it is absolutely critical with respect to life outcomes your ability to teach yourself some level. And this is what I discovered in, you know, in the last first five years, 10 years of my writing, and is that that teaching, because it's self-teaching is so haphazard that you come away with some people who have really high skills, some really low skills, but most people have highs and lows in the 13 behaviors. They've taught themselves some really well, and others don't even know that they exist, so they're not using them at all. But they're trying to now engage in life without having a concept of what skills they have and which ones they don't. So then it's very confusing with respect to, why is it that I always have this problem? It's a bit like driving a car, but knowing nothing about cars. And some days your car starts and some days it doesn't. You have no idea why, because you know nothing about cars. No one has ever told you or no one has ever diagnosed your car and told you, oh, well, the reason you have this problem is that you have a hole in your gas tank. And you go, oh, that's why it leaks out a slow leak. And that's why some days it starts, some days it doesn't. We don't have that kind of knowledge about ourselves. So bring on something like COVID, you know, where you spent maybe 10, 20, 30 years developing some habits that fit into your work environment, all of a sudden you have to work from home. And because you don't really have any understanding about the way you manage time demands, working from home throws you into, or moving back to Jamaica, throws you into a complete uh, tailspin. And you have no idea why things aren't working the way they should because you think they should. But this is the thing, I think for the human brain, when you get into the growth mindset, the Carol Dweck element, you know, it is 
we get to a certain point in our life, you said there's these, these 13 behaviors that you've laid out, these 13 um, kind of skills within time, uh, time, time management. We get to a certain point and we, we believe that our brain hardens, that it calcifies. And, it, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and we can't do anything. Oh, well, I'm just like that. I'm stuck like this. Oh, I'm not going to learn. Da, da, da. So we don't, uh, there's a large portion or percentage of people that then don't go out and think, well, actually, how do I solve this problem? How do I bridge this gap? And they get stuck in that. Whereas actually with that little bit of kind of that growth mindset, that, that acceptance or acknowledgement that there is neural plasticity, you can say, well, actually, I've got these seven traits at this level. I've got these ones at this level. Okay, if I work on this one, all of a sudden my day gets easier. And we don't, right. we need to look for the solution. Right, 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 right. My observation is that the, the, the 13 behaviors are, just as you said, very plastic. And they, are, they behave like any other, any other kinds of habits that we have that the, the, the continued repetition does build up a certain, um, your brain adapts to the behavior, yes. But if you believe that you can change and you go through the steps of bringing in a new behavior change, then they're absolutely amenable to change. And I'm sure people are realizing that, no, you know, I never, people are saying things like, I never thought I could work at home with the kids in the same building. I thought they were, they would, but I figured out how to do it. So I've learned the skill of doing that. And didn't have you know, a choice. Yeah, I did, well, in this case, I had no choice, so I had to. <laughs> so they're discovering, oh, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm more flexible than I thought. I, I guess some are, and I guess others are hating every moment of it and can't wait to get back to doing real work. And I imagine that some are, are still stuck. But I, I, mean, love, I love that book. But it's, but it's kind of, it's, for those that are still stuck, it's helping them to get that nudge to say, Do you know what, we're going to be in this for potentially a few more weeks. This isn't going to be the last time this happens. They pulled the lever once. It means they can pull the lever again if they need to. You know, we have kind of the, the structures in place to make this happen again. And it's quite possible that we will go back to this state if, if, if the world needs to. Um, by neighborhood by neighborhood, perhaps. That's what, that's what yeah. the talk is at this point, right? Is that they could lock down. If they have a spike in a particular area, they could lock it down. And you go right back to, to social distancing and... Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been a, I hope it's been a wake up call for folks that you, you do need it. They may have inadvertently come to rely on the consistency or the structure of work in the office. Mm. And the truth is that was just all made up. Yeah. It was all, all of a convenience that was not quite designed by most people. It was just something they fell into rather than something that they, chose knowing that they had other choices so hold on let's try let's stay the course 13 behaviors give me the breakdown because i want to see how we're going to how you can give this to people that are going in and out of this and they're not quite sure of the shifts and then what are the 13 behaviors that are going to help people you know get a better grip a better handle on what's going on sure i, I i've broken them down into um seven fundamentals five advanced and two executables and this is, the, this is all described in my book, by the way, Perfect Time-Based Productivity, which uh, you can find on Amazon and usually. There, there will be a link below where you said that. So you just make sure I've got the link and I'll include it in the video captions, all right? Great. And the, and the assessment I, I'll mention later covers all 13. Yep. So the first, the fundamentals, the essential fundamentals have to do with how do you manage time demands directly? So time demand is created when you make that promise to yourself. And the first thing that happens is what's called capturing. So capturing is saving it for later in some way. 
And most people are taught to save, but not taught, but they teach themselves to save time demands in their mind. So they capture them in their mind using what's called, psychologists call it prospective memory. And some time passes, and then later on they do what's called emptying, which is moving the time demand from the point of capture to a place where you can now do something with it. So it's a little bit like um, promising yourself to pick up the lot, pick up the groceries tonight, and then on the way home as you're driving, all of a sudden your memory pops in. The groceries, so that's the point of emptying. That's accidental empty. And <laughs> you don't really want, you prefer to have a plan rather than to just go by the seat of your pants and have things pop in and out. But emptying is the second fundamental. Um, then there's um, acting now, which is acting on uh, an act, uh, time demand immediately, storing, scheduling, and listing. And those are the seven, two, three, storing, scheduling, listing. Yeah, I cover them all. Yeah. Act, oh, sorry, then there's tossing. Tossing is getting rid of a time demand. So this is just the, the, the seven basic or essential behaviors that we've taught ourselves to keep time demands in existence. We need to engage in these seven. And as I said before, we teach ourselves these seven and teach ourselves in varying, varying degrees of success. So everyone therefore has a profile of, you could be really good at capturing, really weak at emptying, really good at tossing, really good at storing, really and so on and so forth. Yep. So we're walking around, it's a little bit like an invisible profile, unaware of how well we do yeah, across the board. It's a little bit like, you know, you're walking around not knowing your blood pressure, uh, not knowing your sugar levels, not knowing some key elements of your biological makeup. Except, of course, this has to do with self-taught behaviors. Yep. So the genius is that we taught ourselves some levels. So everyone has a level. It's not, most people, it's, I've not met someone who doesn't do something at all. Yep. It's just that they may do it at this very rudimentary level that's not sufficient. Like for example, a, a CEO I met uh, was capturing at this very basic level, a very, very smart person. Went to one of the top universities in the world. And, but somehow taught himself to try to remember all of his time demands without using any external devices like a smartphone or a planner or, just, or his secretary memory. And as a result, in the middle of meetings, he'd remember things that he was supposed to be doing other places and he'd just dash off. Yeah. And he had the freedom to do that because he's the big boss, but it was extremely ineffective. And no one had said to him, you know, you, this is a skill that, this is a lack of a skill that's causing you all of this agita. No one had ever said it to him. He didn't know. It's, you need that self-awareness and that reflection piece. You know, you know, I'm reasonably good at capturing. I'm not great. You know, there's occasionally things fall for the net. But then the thing is for me is that that scheduling and that acting now, I know that's my big thing. You know, is everything to me is kind of con is the priority. So making sure it's going to get done at the right time and making sure that I've, you know, it's coming to the top of the, the list at the right time and it's also urgent and important and all of those things. 
you, know, you have to have that self-awareness and then you put things in place to manage it, whether it is just a simple to-do list, whether it is using your outlook and color coding your outlook to make that stuff work better. So you can see it and you, can, and you know whose time is what in what part of your day. Right. The, the only word I would, I would challenge you on is the word simple. Mm -hmm. Because the, we, 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 don't, we don't put together simple things when we don't know what we're doing. We put together bulky, difficult, uh, uh, tricky. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. So because for most people, this is all invisible and they're unaware. They're not designing with a fully aware. This is not an adult designing something. This is an adult who is doing what a 14-year-old decided to do or a 13 or a 12-year-old. So you, 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 you take what a 12-year-old teaches him or herself and you scale it up to an adult life with way more tasks that have to be managed. And that's where you get all kinds of problems like overwhelm and the problem with the CEO. So the lack of awareness is the, the actually is heel in this case. It's the, it's the fault, it's the point of fault. Because when you don't know what you're doing with that level of clarity, then you won't be able to improve it. So it's a little bit like um, um, if you don't know how a car works and your car doesn't start in the morning, but you know how to change the tire. So you change the tire on the car and you try it again. But changing a tire doesn't cause an engine to turn over any differently. But if you have no clue as to the workings of a car, you might think that, hey, let me try that because I know how to do that. Yeah. But then so I was going to say that comes down to kind of that Einstein quote, you know, you can't solve the problem with the same level of thinking that created it. Right, right. The 12-year-old thinking isn't sufficient for a 30-year-old life. And that comes up, becomes apparent when, for me, it became apparent when I moved back to Jamaica. So in 2005, the, the, the system I had even put together as an adult up to that point was fine for life in Florida. And it was insufficient for life in Jamaica. And it's good that you get that awareness, then you get it to put it under the lens, under the microscope, you can have a look at it, and then you get to scale it, and you get, it, get to put it in front of the telescope and then see how far it can help you and help other people. That's the important part. Right, that's the important. It's bringing adult-level adult analysis to something that's been with you since about the age of 12. For the and first time. So one thing that pops to my mind is uh, MBM, Making Business Matter, we talk about sticky learning. So we teach people, we, you know, we, we learn to learn. So we go through all the behavioral um, mechanisms that help the stuff to stay in. Because some of the key things that we don't learn at school is one, how to learn. Actually, if you learned how to do that, I think there'd be a hell of a lot, um, there'd be a lot more ideas flying around the universe, uh, more readily available. Right. How to manage your time. No one gets told that, you know, how to structure it. Um, how to take notes. No one ever gets taught how to take notes. It's kind of important when you're at university. Right. Um, and some of those key elements, actually, you do the best that you can with the best you've got at maybe 12 or 13 years old. You don't want to ask any questions in case you look stupid in amongst your peer group because, okay, no one else is mentioning it, so maybe I should know this, but no one said anything, so I don't say anything. Right. And then you wear that, um, that self-taught belief for the rest of your life and then wonder why your scheduling or your emptying or your capturing or your tossing is all, you know, all over the shop. You wouldn't even have the language for it, right? Yeah, no. All you'd know is that you're feeling pressured 
or that you're forgetting to do things or that you're always late or that people realize that you're a flake so they stop asking you to do things that are important they give you the trivial stuff because you can't manage it you never really you know the symptoms because they're happening in front of you but the causes are all invisible to you mm. and you retire and then you never really know why the guy who you went to primary school with became a ceo and you're a first level supervisor you don't really know why it ended up differently and sometimes it has to do with what we're talking about here those core behaviors so what good so what are the next ones because these are the first seven these are the essential right. seven what's the next right. layer so the advanced are uh, interrupting. Wait, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going in order. So good. I like. I like to do it in order each time so that I don't. I don't forget. But then I. <laughs> but then, but then, well, I'll remember. Interrupting, warning, reviewing, switching. Seven or four, eleven. Yes, those are the four. Those are the four advanced. Yeah. And then there are two executables, habiting and flowing. So the four advanced, the switching is what you do when you get to the end of a task and then must decide what to do next. Mm. So that's a skill, you know, figuring out the next best thing to work on. And I wish it, to use the word simply, I wish it were simple, but as the number of time demands goes up, as you start to increase the number that you're trying to manage. Again, this is not a problem for a 12-year-old who has one thing to remember, which is, I have my math homework tonight. You have one thing to remember in life. And it's like, you don't, you don't need anything complex. But as you scale and as life becomes more complex, you need something more robust. And you start to pick up these skills. And one of the skills that everyone picks up is switching. So everyone switches from one task to the next. Some do so very badly and end up lost in Facebook or Instagram or end up taking a nap whenever they can or end up taking a drink because this is all too much. I got them home, I can drink as much liquor as I want. You know, so they, they, they develop their own way of doing it. And then others at the higher level, highest, very high level would scan their commitments. They'd look at the plan they made for the day they would ask, is that still appropriate for me to work on? Is that still the best thing for me to work on? And nine times out of ten it is. So they go ahead and they follow their plan. Switching. Interrupting is the skill of stopping whatever you're doing so that you can start something new before it's finished. So if you can imagine a, a, a secretary or an admin who taps you on the shoulder and says, I know you're working on, on that podcast, uh, but I know you're deep in it, but your wife said that she, you need to go and pick her up at the train station in 15 minutes. And you go, oh, because you're so lost in what you're doing. You're so deep in the flow state that you weren't keeping track of time. And you don't want to keep track of time. You know, ideally, we would ha all have this super, super enabled admin assistant who takes care of everything for us. Ideally, we would have that person. There are very few people who have that person and few of them who use that person very well but there's some good studies that show that executive productivity is entirely related to who that person is and in some companies they randomly assign you someone who could have been hired last week <laughs> some companies like a joke you know if you get somebody good good luck because they don't put any thought into who should be your admin 
And that person doesn't realize that you do need to be interrupted sometimes and stop what you're doing in order to go start something new. So that's interrupting. And then there's warning, which is setting up a, a internal system that tells you when your time management system is about to break. So for example, my inbox is a, a, my warning system of sorts. When it gets above a certain level, I realize that I'm falling behind. So I now need to stop everything, go in and then. So it's, a, it's an early sign that I need to improve some behavior because I'm, if it persists over time, I'm going to get into trouble. And then reviewing is actually looking back at your time management system periodically and your tasks on a, people say you should do a weekly review if you follow David Allen and you should look at all of the tasks that you have committed to that week. So this morning I did my, I did a, a weekly review where I looked at, okay, here's the big deliverables for the week. Here's my schedule for the week. Um, here are the projects that I'm working on. You know, nothing fancy, nothing that anybody else isn't doing, but that, that regular review of your tasks and your system is one that keeps you above water. So those are the four advanced fundamentals. And you know, I'm, I'm happy to hear that because that's something that we are doing. Uh, you know, on a Sunday night, my wife and I review what's going on. So she's aware, especially now, where I'm going to be, how I can be helping in the house, you know, you know, if there's childcare arrangements. So she has a flavor, so she knows that I'm going to be doing an interview now until six o'clock. She knows that this is coming. Um, she knows when to expect me, you know, to be interacting with the with the family group. So it gives other people that security and certainty to play to as well. So you're not getting interrupted by children or or significant others. Um, so we're doing that on a weekly basis. I do it on a daily basis just to get a flavour of what's coming into tomorrow, and then mentally compartmentalising that stuff for the day ahead, the night before. So yeah, right. it's in there. I'm already kind of I'm already putting the stuff into the subconscious and solving a few problems before I get to the day ahead. Um, right. and, and previously you 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 probably but, but necessarily you but somebody who commutes to work for example used to do their review on the train or on the bus as they had or, or on foot where however they got to work in the car mm -hmm. so that's when they did their review it take away that time and they don't even realize that that's what they were doing necessarily they just have a feeling of being rushed and they can't explain why and they don't want to talk to the spouse the night before because, you know, I don't want to do that. So, but they don't, they don't get that when they sit down at 9 a.m. In, in front of their makeshift, in front of their computer in their makeshift office, that they are totally unprepared to execute the day with any effectiveness. So they, 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 they can't see themselves um, and how their productivity has fallen in this new dispensation it's like you said that the the thinking and the pattern is there but the environment has shifted and they forget to because they're no longer in that environment and in truth that now i say to people is no you are not defined by your environment you define your environment by what you put into it so if you remember actually it's the skill that you're displaying a behavior you already got doesn't matter whether you're on the train or on the toilet it's still the same skill set that's going to get you that focus in order to deliver the result you need to get to you see this is where back to what you said about carl dweck's work and the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. If you don't have the growth mindset, you'll just think life is doing it to you. Mm. You'll think that, you'll really believe that you are doing the best you can and that's it. And it's life that has changed and life needs to go back to the way it was because you don't see your own agency. So this is why 
what her book and her 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 distinction is so is so important and cannot be taken for granted. It's just that most people don't extend her thinking if they have heard it to the behaviors they taught themselves when they were 12. They don't know that, oh, hang on, this applies to 13, 13 behaviors as well as how well I do my public speaking, for example. They don't, they don't it doesn't go all the way doesn't go all the way into those behaviors. So they don't see that they have a choice. All of a sudden I've become a different person just because I'm in a different location. No. They don't, yeah, they don't get that. It's, again, if you had two months to prepare, you know, <laughs> real two months, not like. <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then the last two, the last two um, fundamentals are what I call, not, I changed the name on them and I call them executables. They're flowing and habiting. So flowing is what you would expect. It's getting into the flow state. It's, it requires interrupting as a skill. The two need to go hand in hand because you, if you're going to go into the flow state consistently, you need to find a way to come out of it. Otherwise, you'll lose track of time and spend every day on just one thing that occupies your mind completely. The best flow state occurs when, uh, when it occurs, you lose track of time and you, do your, you, you feel as if you are doing your best work. And you might be. It's just that the dog needs to be walked and the garbage needs to go out. <laughs> There's things that need to get done. You do need to be interrupted. So flowing is a, a, a skill in and of itself, the ability to enter the flow state at will. And um, it's a term that was coined by um, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. And, but it, it, I've also incorporated some of the ideas from Anders Ericsson, um, who speaks about the um, deliberate practice and um, Cal Newport's book on deep work. So I've incorporated them all into the same kind of highly focused kind of practice. And then the final, final um, executable is habiting. And there are a bunch of good books going around right now about uh, the importance of habits and creating good habits. So I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I've just said that habiting is the skill of consciously creating a new habit, putting it in place, or consciously identifying a habit that's not working or a behavior and then changing it. So it's the ability to change one's repetitive behavior, call it habiting, yeah. want a better word. But it goes back into those advanced skill set, doing that review piece of reviewing your own um, time management structures. Does it work? Interrupting it. Like, so actually interrupting the flow of your own time management system if it's not serving you and then switching it, getting rid of it, putting a different one in that is going to benefit you. And that might be just a one degree shift or a small tweak or small adjustment, but it's enough to keep that kind of um, brain plasticity going to actually make the improvements with the rest of that structure for yourself. Right. Now I, I use the term switching, switching and interrupting around time demands just, just to be clear. So it's, it's the execution that I use it around, yeah. but you could apply it there the other, in the other way, metaphorically, because yeah. you do need to, on a grander level, yeah. at the higher level, you do need to interrupt what you're yeah. doing, review it, yeah. interrupt it, yeah. switch it, and then hit, on a, hit another level of, of flowing with it. You know, so that's a, it's a higher level than I use, yeah. but yes. But no, I'm, I'm seeing the same language that you're using, the reapplication of that process to make that you're sure that your time management and, and, and strategies are in place. It's the same language to take it apart and actually make a better one at the same time. Um, that's exactly right. That's the whole, if you have the growth mindset, you know, once so, someone, once you've done an assessment and you realize that your skills are here, 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 and up and down, mm. you're like, well, how come? <laughs> 
don't know. You were 12 years old. You decided that, but this is where you're at. Mm-hmm. And then as you look at it, you say, well, okay, but maybe this explains a few things. And then the question is, where do I start to make the improvements? Now, that's a, not a simple question at all. And that's where very little, very few studies have, have taken place. Most of the training that occurs today, if you take a, a, a popular training like GTD, basically David Allen took his profile and said, everyone should just do what I do. Basically, he just came up with a number of fixed behaviors and then said, wrote his book and said, here's what the fixed behaviors are that I use and everyone should use them. Basically. And you know what? For, for most people, for, for most people, for many people, that was great. You're telling me exactly what to do. But for a lot of people, particularly today, more than when he wrote his book back in the day, people are listening and they're like, hang on, but why should I do it exactly that way? Does that suit my needs? So when I, when I, when I did my own analysis, I discovered over time that your system allows you to handle a certain volume of tasks. It's a, a, a little bit like um, having the right shovel or the right trowel or the right earth-moving equipment. They all move earth, right? And if, if I called you and said, listen, I'm going to be doing some digging tomorrow. Bring over some equipment. And you got the message at 6 o'clock and you're supposed to come over at 7. You'd be like, when he says equipment, if you're someone who has access to like a tractor, <laughs> everything from a tractor to a hand shovel, you're like, Oh, hang on. Did he want me to bring my tractor with the, the front end thing with the thing that moves the dirt? Yeah. Or does he want me to bring a couple of hand shovels? Are we potting plants or are we building a foundation for this place that he, I know he's working on? Mm-hmm. Because they all move the earth, but they're, they're all meant for different volumes of dirt. In the same way that our systems, you know, when you're, your 12 year old system is meant to manage homework. And that's it. And even then your mom is there saying, hey, what do you, where's your homework? She's here to remind you every day. So you don't even need this system to manage. You don't have too many demands on your time. So you really don't need anything complex. So what you develop is something suitable for your 12-year-old life. Fast forward to when you're 35 and you've just had a couple of kids, you've moved, you've just got promoted, you have a big project taking on something in the community, one of your parents isn't, isn't doing well health-wise. And as you go to bed at night, your mind is racing with all the things that you're trying to. So you're using the same skills as you, you did when you were 12 and now you're, because the system that you now have is not meant to manage the hundreds of tasks that you need to be juggling all at the same time to make sure that none of them falls through the cracks. In other words, you need an upgrade. So people look at their profiles and say, if I need an upgrade, where do I start? It's a bit like my car doesn't start. Where do I start? And the answer to that question takes some skill and some diagnosis. So this is, this is where it gets more tricky and more challenging. Well, the thing is with the car analogy, either you can go and have a look under the bonnet yourself and you can kind of guess some stuff. Or you can... Or you can get the Haynes manual and try and work it out, which is, you know, depending on where you are technically, that's another route. 
or you can speak to your dad, or you can go and see the mechanic. You know, it's, it's all these different. Or you can go to automotive. College, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Learn, learn the skills, yeah. all those things. You know, we've, we've got all these opportunities. But again, it comes back to that self-reflection piece. You know, one of the things I was going to ask was, you know, what is time management and why is it important? You know, is it is like you say, it's having that structure so actually we can manage all these demands that we see, all these psychological objects that we have, you know, we feel all the places we think we need to be and and going, etc. And being able to kind of structure and compartmentalize and put things in that order. If we don't have that and we're using that 12-year-old model, that's not going to work for where we need to be. Hence the need for that self-reflection that you're saying. Yeah. So some argue that it's not a case of self-reflection, it's just a case of mimicry, that it doesn't matter what you 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 currently do, just copy something that somebody else does. Mm. So that, that's a that's a valid line of reasoning and most books and training basically say don't worry about what you do forget all of it just pick up what you're being told to do mm. well the reason that doesn't work goes to science of learning so that goes to pedagogy versus andragogy so if if your listeners aren't familiar with the difference between the two pedagogy is a teaching that kind of teaching that applies to children who are picking up a concept for the first time so a child who hears algebra for the first time won't have a way of solving algebraic equations before. Mm-hmm. This is going to be brand new. So there's yep. a way to teach children, usually children, something that's brand new. That's very different than teaching a 35-year-old the capturing that they've been doing since they were 12. Now you've got to account for, and this is why andragogy, which is a teaching of adults, people who are already competent in something to some degree. Now you've got to teach them how to learn about themselves. Because unfortunately here we're talking about behaviors, habits and routines that don't change instantly, unfortunately. So if if you're a very low skill in capturing and I tell you what the very high skill is, you may may immediately reject it because you realize that I'm never getting there <laughs> because changing your behavior is going to take years to get to that very high level. It's it might going to happen quickly. And, and but it's understanding the benefits of getting there. So look, this kind of leads me into my penultimate question. You've covered the, these 13 elements of behaviors. We've given some headlines to these people. We've talked about the necessity for neural plasticity and the self-awareness that's required. Carol Dweck, don't forget Carol, her. Yeah, Carol Dweck, but you know, at the same time, you know, Francis Wade, you know, he's got this book, you know, he's got these 13 behaviors in there. If we can go with that Carol Dweck and get that neural plasticity and then dive into these 13 behaviors, we can shift the way that we manage our, our, our chronological workloads. You know, that would be an astronomical um, learning to take away from this interview. Right. Penultimate question How do you make behavioral change stick? Ah, so I'm not a, I'm not a full-blown expert at that. But the, the piece that I've focused on is the piece I mentioned before, which is that in using an andragogical approach, when you're teaching someone who already has a skill and they don't know they have it, you've got to bring them to the level of awareness about what it is that they're doing. You've got to show them why they do it. You've got to break the bad news to them if there's bad news that they're not doing it at a level that's commensurate with the task volume they're trying to manage. And that's why, that they're, so, that's why they're suffering. 
They're doing it at the 12 year old level or 15 or 20, but it's not where it should be. Uh, you break it down into components, uh, into its sub behaviors, and then you, and this is where they need to be self analytical, but also a level of rigor is called for because you can't go increase, improve 20 behaviors all at the same time. You got to make a call. So you say, okay, I'm going to focus on this one now, this one in six months' time, this one a year from now, because it could take that long for some of these behaviors to change. So the, the big key when changing something that's complex is, I think Einstein knows, um, not Einstein, it was, oh, actually, I can't remember. I think it may be Mark, Mark Twain said that the key to getting ahead is breaking down complex behaviors into small ones and then working, improving them one at a time. Mm. I think it was Mark Twain. But anyway, the idea is that we've got to be training and developing ourselves to focus on small bits, which means that we have all of the improvements or many of them laid out over time. And then we are trying to improve two or three at a time because there's a lot of research from all the habit books. Say, if you try to change too much at once, you fail. Yeah. So, among these 13 behaviors, you get down to the sub-behaviors and figure out which ones to focus on. And unfortunately, that's an individual uh, discovery. No one can do it for you. No one can analyze you or your life well enough. No one, there's no one instrument that's going to tell you. The instrument that, that, that I've put together is one that gives you a really rough, crude idea. Matter of fact, you could take my two-day training come to Jamaica and take the training and at the end of it say, geez, you know, my first assessment was crap. <laughs> I said, well, you know, it, it, that can happen because when you're applying a very, a very crude instrument to a very complex set of behaviors that you've built up over a period of a decade, two decades, three decades, complex, a, comp, a, a, a simple rudimentary rough understanding gets you going, which is good, better than nothing. But ultimately, you've got to get to this higher level of understanding where you become more masterful at understanding your behavior and the consequences on your life. That's what you're headed to. Yeah, absolutely. And it's important to me is, is that self-awareness. And no matter how crude the, kind of the, the lens or the set of glasses that you're looking through to make that happen, it doesn't really matter. As long as that there is then creating that new viewpoint to go, okay, these are the 13 things. Okay, which one of those do I need to work on that's going to elevate this over here? Okay then you get that viewpoint. Um, and it is all about reducing everything down to that single pixel of color. You know, you've got this huge picture, but it's all made up of singular, singular dots of information. And the analogy that I often use when dealing with large scale change, it's like the, uh, the, the plate spinner at the Chinese circus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Does the plate spinner come out spinning 200 plates or do they start with one plate at a time? You know? Right. right. It's going to be a really short show if that guy tries to throw 200 plates up at the same time and start spinning. It's like, nah, this isn't working. Right. So we just have to go to that one thing and you get the plate up, you spin, and then you take the next one. And you keep building the 13 behaviors to the person, you know, and con- with the reflection piece, go back, have a look, break it down again, see where you, you know, where your, where your pain points are, adjust them, tweak, adjust, move, develop, adapt. Yeah. My, 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 my argument is that by the time you pick up my book as an adult, or you walk into one of my training programs, or you do the online assessment, by the time you do one of these behaviors, a whole lot has already happened. 
So you're already a work in progress. I'm, I, it's, it's too late to not be a work in progress at that point because you're, you're spinning plates. <laughs> so the only question is, are you going to be spinning more plates in the future? Are some of them dropping now? Do you need to pick up some additional? Do you need to add more plates, add more, more of those um, sticks? Mm -hmm. do you, the only question is, what's next? Because yeah. you already are doing it. This is what people are, are amazed to discover. Like, my God, I had, I had no idea that I was doing it. I had no idea that I was doing some parts well and some parts not so well. But now that I know, to get back to what you said about reflection, at least I can start reflecting on what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that can be a, a game that you play from that moment until the end of your career or even beyond. And every day we're a work in progress. So to, to be in denial that we're not a work in progress, we'd never, we'd never ever make it. There is no, oh, I've made it, I'm at the top. No, there is just an evolution, a process of thinking and a development. And some days you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be rubbish at things because that's, you know, because your focus is on something else or a skill set or something happens or you're feeling it, whatever. There's gonna be a developmental leap as you're going through this stuff. But it's having that wherewithal to sit down and go, let's have a look, let's adjust, let's reconcile, recalibrate, and then make a progression in everything we do, not just like time management and structure, but everything, you know? Right. But isn't that why COVID is so great? Because it's, it's beyond any of our individual capacity. It obviously isn't our fault. Mm. And it gives us an opportunity to experience a new, a new, a radically different environment where there are more demands on our time, which can be extremely illuminating. It's like, it's no, I, I need an office to work in. I've needed an office to work in up until now. I didn't even know that. I hated the office. Now I actually see it has some utility. And now that it's gone, I have to now struggle to be as productive as I used to be. How come? Why? So there's this great awakening that can happen because COVID is obviously something that happened external to you. So it's not your fault. So you can stand apart from it and say, why is it that I'm not doing well in this transition? And I suspect a lot of people are going to come away a lot smarter having gone through this whole thing with respect to their productivity. And then a lot won't, but <laughs> that's all life is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then we have to put it under that, that lens and have a look at it. And, you know, it's, it, you know, is life, is life happening to me or is it happening through me? And I use the, the drunk logic of Captain Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, the problem isn't the problem. It's your attitude to the problem that is the problem. <laughs> Said with a drunken kind of. <laughs> it's, the drunken kind of it's not the problem that's the problem. <laughs> it's your. Yeah, but it, it's, it's, okay, what is this, what is this situation? How, what right. you know, viewpoint is this giving me? How am, I, how am I adjusting to this? How am I adapting? What am I learning from this? And how do I take right. it? And that's the thing. Right. So right. thinking about this learning element, where can people find you? So uh, every year, well, well, I had the first time blocking summit. Time blocking is the practice of putting tasks in your calendar as opposed to in a to-do list. And I had the first time blocking summit earlier in March. And I'm going to have another one next year. And it's, a, it's a, a technique that people, busy people have to use because they have, they're trying to manage so many tasks. It's a must. And um, so they can find me at timeblockingsummit.info. That's where you can find out about the summit next year. They can also find me at uh, schedulu.org, where I focus on, that's my everyday website for sharing ideas in the realm of using your schedule, using auto schedulers, 
again, going up into the skinny branches of what happens when you have lots of time demands. And they can also check out my book at perfect.mytimedesign.com. And somewhere in the show notes, I think we can put a link to my assessment. I don't have a website for that by itself, but there's a link, kind of a longer link, but we can put that in there so that folks can go over there and see if it's something they want to do, um, something that is for purchase. So it's something that they can get into. Um, but it's very inexpensive and takes, gets about 20 minutes to get it done. Amazing. Look, Francis, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you very much for having this and making the time to have this conversation with me and for sharing these 13 behaviours with the people that are listening to this. I implore people, if you are feeling time-starved, um, time malnourished, whatever it is, and you're not putting that or able to get that focus in the right places, go and have a look at these concepts. Go and have a look at the 13 behaviors. Go and have a look at the assessment and complete that. So you can start to understand what is it you need to change and shift and review and interrupt and switch so that you can get a better result with the time that you've got. And dig into the book. There's some stuff in there as well. You know, is 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 condensing thinking from other people about habit stacking behaviors and, and how we relearn this stuff. So if you're a self-aware leader, you want to improve the situation, go and find Francis. The contact details will be in the show notes, they'll be in the comments below. Thank you very much for today, Francis, and thank you very much for tuning in for this episode. My pleasure. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Firstly, massive thank you from the MBM team for tuning in to this sticky interview. If you haven't already done so, now is the time to click subscribe and stay up to date with our new training videos and great interviews. And secondly, if you want to learn more about the skills we've been talking about in this episode, click the link and take a look at the MBM virtual classrooms. They're there to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Until next time, see you soon.